We're in a series, you know, called A Change for Good. Uh, and the idea is, you know, can we be grateful and understand gratefulness leads to a permanent change for good in our hearts and our minds? And we've mentioned before, you know, how easy it is for us to be ungrateful, to be complaining, to whine, you know, to point out the deficiencies or the negativity in things around us that actually it's harder to focus on the positive or what good that we have. Uh, How many of us have, you know, scrolled through uh, the hundreds of TV stations that we have and say, can't find anything to watch? Or we go into our, you know, pantry or refrigerator and it's full of food, can't find anything to eat. As Americans, it seems like the more we get blessed, the more things that we have, we have a tendency to forget to be grateful and thankful for those things because we're always looking to the things that we don't have or we complain even about the things that we do. Uh, For example, uh, uh, growing up, there used to be a phrase that has now actually become a hashtag called first world problems. So these would be uh, problems or complaints expressed by us Americans that developing or third world countries wouldn't even think about complaining because most of which we wouldn't have it. So this hashtag has become a little bit more popular and I've actually found something just a couple days ago, you know, that listed some of these, you know, from Twitter account. So like, for example, here'd be the first one. Uh, How are these bagels not pre-sliced? Seriously, Trader Joe's, did we lose a war or something? (laughs) Hashtag first world problems, right? You're like, really? That's what we complain about? Or our DVR is broke. They've offered to give us a new one, but we have so much recorded. We can't change yet or we'll lose it. You know, like this whiny attitude. I'm like, really? You know, that's why that's such a bad thing. Or why is it the Sonic Drive-In Blast never got the toppings mixed to the bottom? You know, the same could be said about the Dairy Queen Blizzard. Hashtag pet peeve. Hashtag first world problems. Right? Okay, here's another one. Uh, uh, the, worst thing, the worst thing about my morning coffee is that I have to wait for it to cool down as it's too hot. <laughs> Some of you guys are like, yes, that's a real issue. You know, hashtag first world problems. Or dear Delta, not trying to be a princess, but you changed my seat assignment to a window from an aisle, which I always, always, always book. I just got medallion status back and this is my welcome right? Hashtag first world problems. Uh, This next one, uh, I think some of us can relate to. Uh, Not having data has to be the worst thing that you can do to a person. There are a few other worse things, you know, to do to a person, but this would be a hashtag first world problems. Or lastly, this person wrote, there are three Starbucks on the first floor here and none on the second. What is this, Africa? Right? First world problems. Now, what a bunch of whiners. But yet, before we criticize these people for being so petty, you know, and so complaining, think about what you've already talked about this morning. Think about the things that you may have found yourself complaining, maybe yesterday or this past week, and somebody else who might have been listening in on your conversation, you know, uh, might have said, you know what, that, that's a little whiny, that's a little complaining. Uh, let, me, let me give you a real life example. I'm just going to be <laughs> confession on this. Thursday morning, I'm preparing the message, and usually what I usually do is I go to a, Star, a Starbucks or a, another coffee shop. You know, and uh, while I'm there, you know, uh, oftentimes I'll start out without my headphones on and just kind of get things going. The problem is, just so you're aware, uh, when you go into a coffee shop, you literally are within feet of somebody else, and uh, uh, other people can usually hear your conversations. So be careful what you talk about in front of a pastor. 
these two people, you know, came in, and it was obvious, you know, that they were very excited to see one another. They hadn't seen each other in a while. Great big warm hug. It's so good to see you. How you doing? How's the family? What's going on? Positive, positive, positive. And I was like, oh, that's nice. And then I started, you know, going in onto my message about complaining and ungratefulness. And it didn't take less. It took less than five minutes for them to begin to complain, and their entire rest of their conversation was about complaining. And so because I was typing, I decided to write down some of these things. Uh, they, they, I told you it's bad, but it's pretty funny. Uh, they talked about how their spouses are lazy, their kids are misbehaving, the healthcare system is terrible, Obama was the worst president ever, and I just couldn't take it anymore. And that was about 15 minutes. I was like, I got to put the headphones on. And then I could look by their body language that one still would go into something, and the other person would just shake their head like, yeah, how come terrible, how awful. And so I had to actually get up and use the restroom. When I did, each time I went to the restroom, it was the healthcare system that was a mess. Then it was their problems and the aches and pains they have, where they live, and how dare it be so cold so early this time of year. And so I was like, oh my goodness, I'm not sure who's worse, them or me listening to another conversation and making it known to everyone. Anyway, it was a perfect illustration. I couldn't help it. I was like, oh, this is really good. Uh, the antidote, you know, to ungratefulness, to complaining, because there's something that draws us to that. You do realize that. There's something that makes us feel good or a little bit better when we do complain about something, especially when somebody else agrees with us. So the antidote is actually thankfulness or gratitude, which actually leads to a permanent change for good. First uh, Thessalonians 5.18 says, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And we spent most of last week talking about how we can be thankful for who God is. This week, we're going to press in, especially in this Thanksgiving week, we're going to press in on being thankful to God for what he has done. And last week, we challenged you, can you be more of a thermostat than a thermometer? Can you become more of a thermostat where you set the temperature instead of conform to the temperature in the room? You walk into a room and you just kind of conform. If it's positive, it's positive. If it's negative, it's negative. Or can we begin to set the temperature in little places that we are? And we challenge you with just finding every day a reason to thank God, to thank God for something. And when those of you on social media, we actually encourage you to hashtag it VRL thanks to God. I want to continue that we have this challenge through the rest of the month and maybe even beyond for those of us who are willing to do this. So today, here's what I want you to do. Briefly share with someone sitting next to you what someone else has done for you that you are grateful or thankful for. So briefly share, begin to think, what has anybody done anything for you in the last week or so, or you maybe can go further beyond, and then how did you express your thanks for what they did? How did you express your thanks, verbally or otherwise? Go ahead and turn to the person next to you and answer that question. We'll come right back up. So hopefully you got a chance to talk about this and those in overflow, you got a chance to do this as well. 
what's interesting is uh, I guarantee you in both, both rooms, you know, what's happened is uh, as I look out over you guys is smiles started to take place. Uh, there was some laughter. Uh, there was some encouragement that was just happening just by recalling what someone has done for you. Now, what I want you to do is flip it. Think about recently when you have done for someone else. More often than not, it's usually easier for us to think about times in which we have done something for someone else. And understand that we all appreciate when some other people are grateful to us when we have done something for them. I mean, think about when you buy a gift, provide a meal, make a lunch, clean a house, mow the lawn, fix a car, pay the bills, go to work, go out of your way to be there for a child, a friend, coworker, neighbor. There's usually an expectation of a thanks. I appreciate you. Or even a response back. Uh, how do I know? Uh, because when it doesn't happen, uh, do you feel like you're being taken for granted? Do you feel like, well, that kind of feels funny that someone wouldn't be grateful for something that I did for them? And how do I know that to be true? Have you ever bought the gift, provided the meal, made the lunch, fixed the car, went to work, went out of your way to be there for the child, coworker, neighbor, and they didn't say or acknowledge anything at all? And maybe it wasn't the first time, maybe it was the eighth, ninth, or tenth time. How'd it make you feel? Uh, here's one of the things I know about myself. One of my wife's love languages is acts of service. So if I go above and beyond what is normally understood or expected in our relationship, if I wash the windows in the house, if I do something extra to take off a burden for her for the kids in terms of driving around, if I go out of my way, then what's expected, then she feels love. That's what an act of service would be in our marriage. And so when I do this, here's what I find out. When I do something like this, she'll walk in and I'll just kind of puff up my chest. <laughs> and she'll be like, oh, you, you know, wash the windows. You did this. Oh, thank you so much. I walk around like, yeah, husband of the year. <laughs> now, on the rare occasion, you know, that I'm not the first thing that she thinks about when she comes into the house and she might have something else on her mind, uh, uh, she may not notice. And how does that make me feel? I'll be honest. I'm like the kid with the drawing. Look, mommy, look, mommy. And I, and I, and I start pointing out like, uh-uh-uh, uh-uh. And she'll look over and she goes, oh, I didn't notice that you. And I'm like, well, now that you did, now I feel better and the world is a better place. <laughs> That's me just being honest and being a little bit petty. Yet, as I've already mentioned, our tendency, though, is not gratefulness and not thankfulness. So with that in mind, here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 17, and we're going to be in verses 11 to 17, and this will not be on the screen. So pull open your YouVersion Bible apps if you have it. If you don't have it, download it, or we have Bibles in the back as a gift from us to you. Okay, Luke chapter 17, before we get there, I want to give you some context. In Jesus' day, if you were sick, you would present yourself to the priest. The priest would act as the local doctor as well as spiritual help and advisor. They would help determine if what you had was serious or not based on what God actually pointed out was serious or not. Like, for example, in that day, one of the worst diseases you could have is something called leprosy. Now, leprosy would begin when you would lose feeling, you know, in your limbs. Imagine trying to make a fire and you put your hand in the fire and you don't feel like it's burning. What happens to your fingers? You lose sensation. You lose numbingness. You start losing function and it gets worse and worse from there. You can look at online, you know, what happens. And so if the priests were to determine that you had leprosy, you would be asked commanded to be exiled from the city to go live in what they call a leper colony, to live on the outskirts 
until one day you might get well, which was more often than not, not happening. So understand this. Imagine the relationships that you had. You would not see your friend again. You would not see your spouse again. You would not see your kids again. You would not be able to work. You would not be able to have that kind of purpose and meaning. You would develop new friendships and you would feel in isolation even while you were with these other people. In fact, this is what we read in Leviticus that God tells the people of Israel. Now, before we get on, God said, why would you do such a terrible thing? We do the same thing now. Maybe not at that level, but if you have a kid who's sick, you would more than likely keep them home for their sake, and also you wouldn't send them to school to spread the disease. That's why, because leprosy was a highly, highly contagious disease. So God is actually helping the people even while helping his people. But in Leviticus 13, it says this, those who suffer from a serious skin disease must tear their clothing and leave their hair uncombed, cover their head. They must cover their mouth and call out, unclean, unclean. As long as the serious disease lasts, they will be ceremonially unclean. They must live in isolation in their place outside of the camp. Okay, so imagine this as the setting. Now, before we jump into the passage today, I found something I thought was fairly humorous. Just a couple of verses before in Leviticus as well. It says this in verse 40. If a man loses his hair and his head becomes bald, he is still ceremonially clean. And if he loses hair on his forehead, he simply just has a bald forehead. He is still clean. So I just want those of you who are bald to know you are still clean today. So let's thank God for the follically challenged among us. Can we just thank God? <laughs> I'm on my way. You can imagine in that, in that day, they'd be like, uh-oh, you're losing your hair. You must have a disease. They're like, no, you, you don't. God is actually helping those of us headed towards that direction. Okay. Side note gone. Let's look at Luke chapter 17. We're going to look at verse 11. Here we go. As Jesus continued toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered a village there, 10 men with leprosy stood at a distance crying out, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. Jesus looked at these lepers and he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. Amazing, amazing. Imagine being in their shoes. It could have been months, it could have been weeks, it could have been years. They now, on their way to show themselves to the priest, have been cleansed. They're clean. They can see their families again. They can see their kids again. They can begin to work and have purpose. Imagine the euphoric feeling and the freedom that they just received from Jesus. But then this is what happens in verse 15. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, he came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. And he fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. Thanking him for what he had done. This man was actually a Samaritan. So he wasn't 100% Jew, which meant he was partial Jew and partial something else, a Gentile of some sort. Jesus asked, well, wait a minute. D didn't I heal 10 men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus you know, said to the man, stand up and go, your faith has healed you. So one of the questions that we have to answer is, is how important is gratitude to God? Now, now before, you know, some of us will think like, man, we've got a pretty insecure God, right? I mean, here's the God of the universe and he needs thanks. He, just like Dan, the, the husband who, who needs the appreciation, needs the thankfulness. Is that, is that what we think our God is? It's not. He doesn't need that, but here's what he knows about us. 
when we give gratitude and thanks to him for who he is and what he has done, it places him in a rightful place in our lives and we experience a change for good. That's why he's encouraging. That's why this passage of scripture is going to be mentioned for all eternity and that he would remind us of the importance of giving thanks. So the self-reflective question for you right now is, do you appreciate and are you grateful to God for what he has done in your life? See, the goal that God wants for us is to develop, for us to develop a heart of gratitude because it's better for us. In fact, he says, Colossians chapter 3, always be thankful, always. Uh, let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. See, sometimes we forget this. We, as we head into the holiday season, God is Emmanuel. We'll sing songs about Emmanuel, which literally means God with us. He left his place in heaven. He came down as man to reveal to us what an abundant life could look like, one with meaning, one with purpose. He came to, 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 to break barriers. He elevated women. He reached across lines you know, racial lines and ethnic lines and, and all these status lines, rich and poor. And he says, this is what community looks like. This is why I'm here, to comfort those who are sick, not the healthy ones. I've come to make life better for other people. To top it off, he goes to the cross for what punishment you and I deserved. He takes it. He says, I'm going to take this proven by his resurrection that the significance of the cross and how easy is it for us, especially the longer we're Christians, to take that for granted. When we take this for granted, when, when the extraordinary becomes ordinary, we lose our gratefulness and we find ourselves complaining and grumbling and crying out in negativity. Have we lost our first love? Do we forget what it was like to be separated from God and then to come to him. And today might be the opportunity for some of you to say, I'm going to give Jesus my life as an expression of thanks for what he has given to me. And so what we want to do with the time that we have left is to answer this question, how can we do this? If this is what Jesus has done for us, how can we give thanks? How can we say thank you? How can we demonstrate thankfulness? Well, here's a couple ways that you might find one that you might attach to. First, you acknowledge and thank God and realize that every good thing that we have comes from him. Every good thing. James 1.17 says, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. Shadow. A, uh, a phrase that was really popular you know, a number of years ago, and it's not as popular today, is this phrase. God is good all the time, and then somebody would say, all the time, God is good. So let's try this. God is good. And all the time. And some of you would be like, nope. Because I've experienced suffering. I experienced pain. I experienced hardship in my life. So that must mean God's not good, which is good for you to come back next Sunday because that's what we're going to talk about. <laughs> Just a little teaser out there. But God is good all the time. Now, we also fall into the trap thinking, oh, no, 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 a lot of the good things that I have is because I've earned them. I, I, my abilities, my charm, my wit 
That's why I have good things. But we have to trace it back a little further. Who gave you that ability? Who gave you that charm? Who gave you that wit? And it's a chance again to give thanks to God. But we fall into these kinds of traps. Like as Americans, here's one of the biggest traps we fall into. Uh, Do we allow what we want to rob us of what we have? We allow what we want to rob us of what we have. In Ecclesiastes chapter 6, verse 9, it says, Enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't. How often do we as Americans are always looking for the grass being greener? Not recognizing all the things that we have been given in our lives. It doesn't say don't strive for those things. It's saying where's our focus? What are we throwing? Because as soon as we turn our focus from what we've been given to what we don't have, we lose gratitude. We lose thankfulness. So we look at somebody else's health. We look at somebody else's spouse. We look at somebody else's finances, their car, their house, whatever their kids, whatever it may be that they have kids and we don't have kids. They have a relationship. We don't have a relationship. And we find ourselves becoming complainers. Ever find that? It's so easy in that trap, especially in our society. How easy is it to look on the outside and say, man, I wish my husband was more like that guy. I wish my spouse, my wife looked more like that person. I wish my kids acted more like these. It's just so easy to be able to do. See, comparison kills gratitude. It kills it, and it kills thankfulness. And we do this all over the place. We do this in church, okay? Those of you who've been Christians for a while, and maybe you've even gone to other churches, and, or you've been a part of this church for a while, here's what we often see, because we just had DNA last week. One of the things that we ask, you know, at our uh, membership class, our class to get to know you and you to get to know us, what does it mean to be a family, you know, as part of this church, is we ask, what's one thing you like? And it is celebratory. It's amazing. Like, we love the worship. We love the kids. We love the relationship. We love how welcoming. We love how... And yet, those who've been here for many years, we stop seeing those things. It's so easy to begin to take those things for granted that first drew you to a place like a church. And, And all of a sudden, we start pointing out the things that aren't going well. You know, like, oh my gosh, stupid smoke on stage. Hate that, you know? You know, where's Eric? You know, why is Kenny on the stage again? You know, why are we watching a video? Where's Dan? This is weird, you know? Uh, sorry, those of you who are in overflow watching video. Um, love you guys. Um, you know, we, we, just start, we start complaining, you know, about these things. Why aren't there more seats here? And you know, we, just, we just start going over and over and over. And it's so easy to do. It's so easy. And it's not that what we're complaining about is wrong. It's where our focus shifts from, from being grateful to begin to complain. But imagine an entire church that focused on how we could give thanks to one another, on how we could praise God for what God was doing amongst our midst, that we could focus. I mean, here's what's funny about our church sometimes. When we see these baptism videos, if you've been a part of our church for a little while, here's what we kind of find. Somebody gets baptized, we're like, I'm like, I know pastors at churches who've not had a baptism, God using a baptism in their church in over a year. And every week we're like, well, we see it all the time. We just take it for granted. Instead of understanding this person has made an eternal decision recently in their lives and we get to see it. We get to be a part of it. Some of us more closely than others, but what an incredible experience. We get to be a part of a multi-generational church where there's young and old grandparents and grandkids all worshiping together. We get to be a church that makes a difference in the community. We get to be a church that our kids, like when's the last time that you actually went overboard and thanked people for watching your kids right now, those of you parents? 
Uh, that they give you an hour of space to come in here and worship God and praise him and, and have a great encounter because they're willing to serve. Have you bought a gift card for them? Have you loved on them? Have you just said, thank you so much? Do you understand what would happen in our church if that was the focus every single time that we came? What a difference it would make because our community outside these walls is looking for something different and we could be that example. Okay, holy rant done. Does anybody love being around encouraging people, by the way? Raise your hand if you love being around grateful encouraging people. That's right. It makes a difference. See, gratitude turns what we have into enough. Into enough. See, a guy by the name of Paul tells us the secret to gratitude when it comes to the things that we have in our lives. And he says in Philippians 4, Not that I was ever in need, for I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with that or everything. In other words, he knows what it's like to have lots of resources and to have none. He's been on both ends of the spectrum. Uh, I've learned the secret to living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or an empty one, with plenty or little. He's not saying if you have plenty, you're wrong. If you have little, you're wrong. He understands in both situations, how does he find contentment? He says, I found it when I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. My perspective is on Christ. And when my perspective's on him and what he's done for me, I find contentment. I find peace. I find joy. In fact, here's one of the false lies that some of us have bought into. We believe that happy people are grateful people. And for some part of it, it's true, but that's not how it gets developed. You do realize that grateful people are the ones who become happy. And that may be the one thing that some of you need to hear. You're like, well, that person's happy because of the circumstances, situations. Like, no, 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 no. Grateful people become joyful, become peaceful, become content, regardless of the situation or circumstances. Do you realize where this guy was when he wrote that chapter in Philippians? Do you know, did anybody know where he was? He was in jail. The guy was in prison. How many of us would be grateful and content in that situation? He was because he didn't forget who he was grateful to for what that person had done for him. Grateful people are the ones who become happy. So we acknowledge all the good things that God has given us. Secondly, is that God gives, our, I mean, God gives us a chance for us to give our lives, to give our lives, our time, talent, and treasures as a grateful response for what he's done. See, Psalms chapter 103 says, let all that I am praise the Lord, may I never forget the good things that he does. Or, or, or Romans 12:1. so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. See, here's where Christianity goes wrong. Here's what I mean. Some of us believe that Christianity is a religion. And when it's a religion, it becomes an obligation. And so based on our understanding of God, he's this fearful judge, you know, condemning thing in the sky. Some of us have bought into the Christianity that I better get my act together in order to have a right standing before God. And so church becomes a checklist. Uh, going to group becomes a checklist. Serving becomes a, I need to do this so that I can have a good standing before God. But what if Christianity was different? What if it was based on relationship? What if it was based on a response to what Jesus has done for us? In other words, you think about the people in your life who've done, gone out of their way to love you. How easy was it to love them back? How easy was it to show thanks now, sometimes we do it verbally, but you do realize that many of us also say, hey, you mowed my lawn, let me mow your lawn the next time. 
Hey, you bought me a gift. I want to buy you a gift. And you don't do it out of obligation. You do it out of gratefulness. What if Christianity was that? Because it is. You see, all through scripture, Christianity should not be a weight. It should be one where we are giving thanks to God for what he's done. And so when we come to church, we're like, I'm so excited to come to church and worship God. Why? Because of what Jesus has done for me. I'm so excited to serve because of what Jesus has done for me. I'm so excited to give gifts because of what Jesus has done for me. And so when you have the picture of what Jesus has done for you, you can find yourself grateful, and now it's no longer an obligation. It's not a have to, it's a get to. It's not a I have this weight, I want to. And so how do we do this? How do we say, God, thank you, thank you for what you have done. The first way is we thank him with our words. That's what we talked about last week. Whether through prayer, you know, or or, or through social media, or through his word, we thank God, even with the words that he gives us. The second way is we thank God by spending time with him. We spend time with him. How much do you enjoy when your kids actually want to spend time with you versus have to spend time with you, right? And so it's not a checklist like, oh, I have to do my quiet time, God's like, just skip it then, you know? So it's like, I get to, I get to do my quiet time. Why? Because Jesus gave me everything. The greatest thing I could do is connect with him and spend time with him. We thank God when we financially give back to him. This is one of my favorite things. People come to church like, oh, that church just wants my money. Money, money, money. That's all the church ever talks about is money, money, money. You're right, that's a have to. But it's a get to when we do it cheerfully. It's a get to when we realize, wait a minute, God gave me everything. My life, this life in eternity, how much is that worth? It's his money in the first place. You mean I get to keep 90%? This is a good deal. This is amazing. God, I am excited. That's why he loves a cheerful giver. In fact, I was at a, at a church, yeah, I think it was a couple years ago, and uh, when they got through the time of the offering, they got to the time of the offering, and I was just listening, I was taking notes, and, and all the guy did when he came up, so he leaned forward, and he said these words. Now is the time for offering. And I'm just sitting back, and instantly, everybody went, woo, yeah! And the spontaneous applause just broke out everywhere. I was just like, what is going on in this place? And so every week, I found out that they trained their people to say, no, this is joyful. This is great. Because of what Jesus has done, we get a chance to give as an expression of thankfulness to God. That's the motivator. That's the driver because we put him first. It makes us become more grateful for what we have because of what he has done. And so I remember coming back and then trying to do it with you guys for a few weeks, but you petered out, so we stopped. (laughs) You know, you're like, yay, then it gets, yay, then it goes, yay. I'm like, okay, let's move on to something else. (laughs) Matthew 6, 21 says, wherever your treasure is there, the desires of your heart will be also. God wants our hearts. That's what he does it. He wants our hearts. Uh, Lastly, we give thanks to God by serving and loving Jesus himself. Have you ever thought about how cool it would be if Jesus was still in the flesh? If he walked around and we actually had specific tangible ways beyond just thank you to be able to love on him? You know, the coolest thing is he tells us we can. In fact, in, in, in Matthew 25, you know, Jesus says, at the end of time, when the world is gone and he, he, the king, Jesus, gathers all the people in all the world and he separates them as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, he will say to those on his right, the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For Jesus says, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty 
You gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was in prison, and you visited me. They're scratching their heads. They're like, wait a minute, you've been gone for thousands of years. When did we ever see you in any of those situations? We never did any of these things for you. And then Jesus says these words, I tell you the truth. When you did it for one of the least of these brothers and sisters, you were doing it for me. Now, the word least does not mean a value statement. It doesn't mean less than. It means those who are in difficult circumstances. Sometimes as Americans, we're like, oh, that person's homeless, or there's a, a country that's suffering, you know, that kind of stuff. And we think that they're less than, and we can almost take a position of pride. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Because we have an opportunity to relieve suffering, to come alongside, and to help people in need. Which is why, when you came in today, on your, sh- on your seat, how did you have one of those? Esther? Let me grab it real quick. Just grab one of these things. Sorry, I didn't mean to make it difficult on you. Uh, grab, grab one of these things. You know, uh, It should have been on your seat as you guys came in. It should have every couple rows. It's called Joy to the World. When this came on my desk this last week, I was like, oh, somebody put a catalog magazine, Operation Christmas Child, on my desk. Until I realized, oh my gosh, this is us. Mandy Fry, Steve Allen, and a number of other people have spent months putting this together in preparation for our Christmas Eve offering. And we're calling it Joy to the World. Every picture you see, 80%, I should say, of the pictures that you see in this booklet are real people that we have real relationship with in Uganda, China, and the Philippines. We know these kids on the front by name. This is what's really cool you know, about this year's offering. As many of you know, 100% of our Christmas Eve offering goes outside our walls. This year, we've decided to go outside our walls. This year, 100% internationally. And so we have a tangible way an expression of saying thanks to Jesus by doing something for those who are less fortunate than we are. By doing something in Jesus' name that helps Jesus' kingdom continue to expand. And so I'm super excited that you have this. Now, this is also strategic. I want to make sure it was in your hands before Black Friday. <laughs> so when we are spending you know, all our money that we don't forget when it comes to Christmas whose birthday it really is. And the birthday boy needs a gift. And so we want to remember that even though he has no problem with us loving and giving gifts to one another, he finds great joy as his children are loving and encouraging one another that we don't forget the reason that we're even celebrating Christmas in the first place. And so this is a tangible expression for us to be able to do. So something for you to sit around you know, the house, talk about it with your spouses in these next few weeks. So as we close... How will you make a change for the good? By giving thanks to God through your time, talents, and treasures. A tangible expression. Can you take it from obligation to gratefulness? Can you take it from a have to to a get to? The way is by focusing on what Jesus has done for us. As soon as we lose that, it changes from gratefulness to obligation. And from a get to to a have to. And just like with your kids, you want to try to transition that gratefulness, it starts with our own hearts. Is that reflective of us? For some of you today, the greatest gift that you can give God is your life. He gave it all for us. And you might be here today, whether you're in here or the overflow room, that you would say, God, I give you my life as a tangible expression of thanks for what he's given to us.